With that in mind, turn with me in your Bibles to the first chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. And right from the text itself, I'm going to lift these words for the title of the message, Nothing is Impossible with God. All right, Luke chapter 1, let's look at verse 34. Let's begin there. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The announcement, of course, is you're going to have a child. She says, how can this be? I've never had any type of sexual intercourse with a man. And we would see this as her being, of course, very young, probably a teenager. And Luke 1.35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Then verse 37, our theme for today. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Amen. Let me start off by asking the question I ask fairly frequently. How many of you are going through a rough time? I mean, can I see your hands? Yeah. How many of you are not going through a rough time? No? I will pray for you that you join the rest of us. <laughs> he says he's not, and I'm not saying he's lying, but the majority here and the majority of people that I'm in contact with here in the church, outside the church, are going through very difficult times. And there's so many things that we can say about that. But if you want to lift your spirits while the storm is still raging, you're going to have to keep your eyes constantly focused on God. Let me tell you something. These are things I've learned to do over the years. I've not only learned to keep my mind focused on God while I'm awake. Believe it or not, I've actually learned how to keep my mind focused on God during sleep. I can't go through all of this how I trained myself to do this, but... I can wake up in the middle of the night, as many of you do. Some of you have told me what a difficult time you have falling back to sleep, and I don't have a difficult time. My mind immediately goes to God, and it immediately begins to look at God and the vastness of Him. And this, I mean, in general, is what goes through my mind. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. And so whatever was on my mind when I wake up doesn't really matter what it is. My mind focuses there. And I remind myself of a number of things, but I'll just keep on point here. I remind myself of the attributes of God. I remind myself of what I tell you frequently, that God is working out a plan in the earth, and we're seeing it. Not all of it is pleasing to us. Most of us here, I know it was true of me in my case. When I received Christ as Savior many long years ago now, I had this thought and this assumption that was further amplified by some teachers and preachers on the scene at the time, that from this point forward, you know, anything that was rough in my life prior to that would no longer be around. It would just be very comfortable. I was young in the Lord. I was very much uninitiated to the truth that Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So... As one example, when I wake up in the middle of the night, and I guarantee you that there's always a lot on my mind, I just go right to God, and I remind myself of His attributes, that He's all-knowing, and He's all-powerful, 
that he's working out something in the earth that we read of in the scriptures as we approach the second coming of Christ, what the state of the church would be, what the state of the world would be, and so on. I'm not saying that that's to my liking. The discomfort, the fact that, you know, there's so much to contend with. But that's just the way it is. So I have two choices, and you have two choices. We can moan, and we can groan, and we can give in to these emotions. We can allow people who are sucking the life, or trying to suck the life out of us, to continue to suck the life out of us. And that's where the parable of the ten virgins comes in. Five were wise, five were foolish. They came over here to the wise when the Lord was just about to come and return. And they said, hey, give us from your lamps. But they said no. Because if you take off from our lamp, then we won't have any either. There won't be enough. Go, see what you can do, get some oil. But they couldn't. It was too late. We must reconcile ourselves with the truth. If the time is not already here, and perhaps it's not, we're approaching it. We're people who are going to be responding too late to the truth of the gospel. Are going to be looking to people like you for this and for that. And you need to be a wise believer that if you allow people to take the precious little energy that we have these days, because they'll waste it anyway, they'll waste the energy and time that you have and you're not left with anything as well. You notice one thing that Jesus healed the sick, he never got sick himself. I mean, you could say, well, he was God. Yes, that's true. But there's still wisdom there too. Well, we read here in the text of a woman, two women, one who's never had any sexual intercourse at all, And she's told by Gabriel, the messenger of God, the angel, that you're going to have a baby. That the Holy Spirit is going to touch you. Because the question is, how can this be? It's impossible. As we understand things and as we know things in nature, it's impossible for a woman to be pregnant without, quote, knowing a man. It's impossible. Elizabeth is married and she has had intercourse, but she's infertile. She can't have a child. Now, same angel visits Elizabeth and her husband. He was a priest, as you remember. Gabriel says to him, too, you're going to have a child. He doubted it at first, and so the angel said, here's what's going to happen. Now, you won't be able to speak at all till the day that that child was born. That was John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, his first cousin. Well, I think we have an easier time understanding a barren woman can become pregnant. We've known people, too, who, especially with modern science, medical science and technology, are able to have children in vitro and use the techniques that we have today. But this isn't the time. This isn't the generation for that. If you're infertile, you're infertile. And of course, in our generation too, there are people even with modern science and medical science that still these methods don't work. And so God has touched two women. One where I'm going to say it was now highly improbable that she would have a child and she's having a child. But in the other case, with Mary, who was Miriam, but we know her as Mary, it was impossible. This cannot happen. This does not happen. And this is the reason why, one of the reasons why people who do lampoon the gospel, it's the very reason why they do. Well, there's other things we can consider with the virgin birth, but it's impossible. It's a fairy tale. It's a myth. The apostles wrote this after Jesus had come and gone, and they made things up. But they didn't make things up. God became a man and dwelt amongst us. Now, this is very important to keep in mind when we look at the words of Jesus, because it's not simply a man, a very brilliant Jewish man, philosopher, rabbi, 
let's say he was one of the smartest men. He was the smartest man who's ever lived, and he's way ahead of his time. No one will ever catch him. His IQ was off the charts. That's not what we're talking about. This is God speaking. And when we examine our lives and begin to entertain the possibilities of what our life can yet become, because with us, we're going to see this from this child who grows to be a man. He's going to go on and to say, and we'll read it, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, remove from hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. I've told you this verse popped in my mind during a time of meditation. I wasn't reading it a couple months back now. I don't know what, a few weeks. And that challenge was laid out before me, me individually. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. And I'm still wrestling with it in a good way. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. Nothing is impossible with God. So when we're connected to God, and we are if you're born again, then the power of God does transfer itself through us. And nothing becomes impossible to you. How do I know that? Because that's what Jesus said. And who's Jesus? Again, he's not just a super brilliant Jew or super brilliant man. He's God come in the flesh. And we also know that God cannot lie. Well, we'll get there, but I want you to start with this thought that with God, nothing is impossible. Or the title of the message is, Nothing is Impossible with God. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. During times of famine, as we read it in the scriptures, God provided for his people when he didn't provide for others. When there was no water in the wilderness, God would instruct Moses to go over here. And there was water. When there was no bread, and we know this, God sent it every day, just enough for a day, and that was it. Because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. No sickness, no disease, no mental condition, the so-called mental illness. Nothing is impossible with God. There's a few of you here that watch my daily broadcast, The Oasis, but I want to mention this to you, for those of you who don't, and to remind those of you who do of what I said. I don't think anyone here, perhaps many that are watching by way of television and those who are listening by way of the radio, I don't think that too many people professing to be Christians have difficulty understanding that God can. What we wrestle with is something that's not brought to the conscious mind. It's down here below consciousness. Does God want to? Is God willing to touch me? We read a lot of books, you know, and pamphlets. Uh, people's testimonies and extraordinary things. My testimony is one of them. We, you know, we talk about it. We give glory to God. What happened to somebody else? Which is great for them. But what about yourself? So you look at yourself. And you think about all the weaknesses that you have. And all the besetting sins and all of this. But isn't it this book here? Isn't it the scriptures that tell us in Hebrews chapter 11. The people of God were made strong out of their weakness. Here's a revelation for you as professing Christians. The one that's holding you back is you. It's you. So let me tell you something here. I'll use the word disadvantage. Here's a disadvantage of reading the Bible every day. Let me pick up this larger Bible here. So many of you here, which is a great thing, believe me, are in this Bible on a daily basis. Many people who come here for the first time start reading the Bible cover to cover because I accent it so much. Okay, so that's obviously an advantage, and that's something you want to do. But the problem is this. When you pass by a couple of the scriptures, for instance, that I'm going to be mentioning here today, and you pass it by, and faith doesn't grab hold of that, the heart gets a little hardened to that text. Now, maybe you missed it, a little different. And then you look at it there, 
And you try it and it don't work and then the heart gets a little more hard. Before you know it, verses like this one here or others that we're going to read and look at don't mean anything to you. Your mind immediately dismisses it. Now, if this was a class and I was asking you to raise your hands and say, how many of you believe that God can do anything? Yeah, amen, amen. But when I ask you how many people believe that God not only can do something for you, but he will do something for you, the expected response, once again, is amen, amen. But that's why I don't have you raise your hand a lot. Because I've learned more that these are just things that sometimes are helpful and sometimes they're not. Because you can read and read and read and read and read. And what's actually happening, because it's not being mixed with faith, your heart is actually getting harder to the texts. The fact that nothing is impossible with God, I think we could grant that as a given. The fact that your circumstances and your life and whatever it may be that you're up against today, that God is willing to visit you, he's willing to touch you, that's the question that has to be answered. Is he willing to touch you? I've said this to you over the years, but especially now, I was saying that when I was a whole lot younger, half the age I am now, that when I get older, I want to be like Caleb and Joshua. I want to be like Caleb, who at 80 years of age said, hey, I want to go take that mountain. Moses was 120 years old, and it says that his physical force was not abated. So imagine seeing Moses do these incredible physical feats. I'm just thinking about the physical. Where did this power come from? It came from God, for whom nothing is impossible. Now, let me just give you a caveat. It's not impossible except in the nature of the case where God says, I will not do this. I will not do this. I will not honor this. Those are your boundaries. Thankfully, though, even with boundaries, there's so much here in the book, so many promises. It would take a lifetime here on earth to exhaust them all, and still there'd be more left. Nothing is impossible with God. You concede that point. But is he willing to touch me? So maybe you'll get an understanding of how I think. I would say this with a great degree of certainty, that there's more coming your way into your mind, I mean, into your brain by way of the media and uh, what we consider the world than from this book. We know right now God is not upset about the economy. You may be. He is not. On my way to church this morning, I was thinking about Elijah. He's the one that called for the famine, right? James chapter 5, he prayed that it wouldn't rain, that there's no rain. If I was Elijah, now that I'm not sure where I'm going to get food, I may be second-guessing myself as to why didn't I even pray this prayer. Because I didn't expect it to include me, which it did. He's still in the land, there's a famine, and God, who controls everything, has the ravens bring him his food. He's down at the brook Kirith, and there he's able to have food, and he's able to have water, and we assume, obviously, he had shelter. And the book tells us, with these things, be content. If you have today your food and your clothing, shelter, and of course we would add a few other things in there for our hygiene and whatever. He said, be content with that. We have this difficulty in America because there's so much that we can grab that we don't know just how much to grab and grab more and all this. We have got to settle the issue. And remember, I preface this by saying this verse from Matthew 17 is challenging me. At this fairly late stage of life, is there actually more to do, more to expect? I mean, there's more to do. Is there more to expect, greater things than I've seen in the past? And my mind conceives and says, yes. Now my prayer is, okay, where, Lord, how? Give me the wisdom to know what direction to take. Go left, go right, and so forth. I've already acquiesced and acknowledged the fact that not only is nothing impossible with God, and not that he's only able to do in my life whatever he wanted to do, but he's willing to do it. 
The lepers come to Jesus. Of course, they want to be healed. And Jesus asks, do you believe that I'm able? In another case, the leper comes to Jesus and says, you know, if you wanted to, you could heal me. He already consented. The Lord was able. Now he was saying, no, if you really wanted to touch me, you could touch me. And Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing this, I want to. Do you really believe God is turning the knife on our back and just saying, suffer, guys, suffer? So I really don't care much about you. No, you say, no, 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 of course not. Then what is it? What is it? But in the human heart, there's an unwillingness to acknowledge. God actually wants to. I am not talking about that so-called prosperity message. I'm not talking about success in the worldly sense. I'm talking about real success, being touched by God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that sense of well-being, that sense of when we sing it in the hymn, it is well with my soul. And then that's where the objection comes in. You say, Pastor, hey, you know what I've been going through lately? And I guess we could exchange what you have been going through. I'll exchange with you what I've been going through. And it seems like I've been going through something all my life. But how I have learned to look at it is this way. Adversity is an opportunity to get stronger. So how do you look at adversity? See, this makes all the difference. This is why when Jesus went to his own hometown, Nazareth, the scriptures record he could not do many mighty works there. It's his own hometown. He could do not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He hadn't changed. He wasn't having an off day. You see, this is the thing. This relationship between you and God, between us and God. Well, we're not going to, well, I'm not going to question God in his ability, in his willingness. So I always make the correct assumption that the problem is over here. And look for those avenues. Most of this book I can review in my mind. I look for the problem on this end of it. With God, nothing is impossible. Once we actually latch on to that, our whole world starts to change. And once you believe, you truly believe that nothing is impossible with God, which I'm saying that we've already conceded that point, but maybe we should walk it back just a step or two and say, if nothing is impossible with God, and I'm going to read it just a second, another scripture with you, if you can believe grain of mustard seed, nothing is impossible to you. That's the catch. We're sight-oriented. Again, reading the newspapers. This is what the newspapers, I mean, come on. Do you really believe a journalist over the word of God? Well, you say no. But remember, I have little ears that hear. I got little eyes that see on social media. I know what you believe. That's not me. Not me. Because men, even the best of men, I mean men and women, the best of people can make mistakes. How often are media people, you know, news anchors and so forth, and the people behind them walking it back? I'm telling you the truth. I can't say I never check the weather. It's just not that frequent. They say it's not going to rain, and it's already raining. They say it's going to be sunny, and it's not. You know, it, that's an example of, all right, the weather is the weather. You say, well, it changes like the weather, but can't fault these people too much. I really don't. And then the people at the news desk, I don't fault them too much because they've been handed a script by somebody else who did some research that came from somebody else. And way, way back behind the curtains, plural, there's the executive producers, and then there's the owners who are saying, this is what we want you to tell the people. You know, that's really what the prophets were. God would say to a prophet, this is what I want you to tell the people. Now, as the song, the little chorus goes, whose report are we going to believe? The retort and the response in the song is, we shall believe the report of the Lord. But do we? Do we? And nothing shall be, well, let's go there. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. 
Now let me ask you another question for which I'm asking for a response. How many of you, maybe not once, twice, but more than that, five, six, dozen times, have made plans, set out to accomplish those plans, and those plans just disintegrate and fall apart? No. <laughs> All right. Because you're not having any trouble, so I'm asking you. <laughs> make plans? Do they fall apart? Do they ever fall apart? It seems that mine always fall apart. It never seems to go the way I planned it. So now I've understood a couple of things. Number one, God has plans and says, uh, no. Uh, there's tests, there's demons, there's a lot of things. But when we come to this verse here, as the song says once again, is there a mountain in your way, a hill you cannot climb? Child of God, don't be dismayed. Look with me at Matthew chapter 17. Let's read a little bit here for the context. Verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the water, and oft into the water, or fire rather, and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. This is how the church started out. It changes when we get to the book of Acts. Then throughout history, it goes right back to this right here. You bring him to the church, and they... You can't do anything. So what happens is at that point, they change the theology of the book and say, well, this is actually for your good. And I say this with respect. I really do. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but that was actually what Mother Teresa taught. One of the things that came up, and this was in the news, is that monies that were sent to her for medicines for the people that she was caring for, they never got the medicines because she was teaching many of them that this sickness is actually better for you. Look that up for yourself. I don't question her humanitarian efforts. I'm just saying that was one criticism. That didn't come from the church. It came from secular sources. We sent money to get medicine, and you didn't get any medicine because she was teaching them. So this sickness makes you better. Have you ever been really sick? And we know God can use it for chastening, so we'll put that aside. When you were sick, did you say, God, this is great. Make me sicker. Have <laughs> you ever been really in pain and say, oh, man, this is making me great. Can you give me some more? Or do you pray like this? Oh, God, heal me. Touch me, this pain is, whatever, right? That's how we pray. Because even though sickness can work for good, and even though God does use it, the Bible talks about that too. The general rule is that Jesus heals the sick. That's the general rule. Right? There's exceptions, of course, and they're in the Bible. That's the general rule. So we don't want to change the theology of the book just because somebody else has. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation. Well, who's the remark being leveled at? The apostles. They were the ones that gave it a try. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither here to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? Why did we fail? You didn't fail. He never fails. Why did we fail? And Jesus, in verse 20, said unto them, because of your unbelief. You know, see, let me stop there. You know what this shows us? That you could try something, and you're going through the motions, anointing with oil and all of this, or whatever it is, laying hands on people, but there's really nothing happening. You're trying it in maybe obedience to the scriptures in a type of hope that we use the word hope like it's a roll of the dice. But that wasn't Jesus. That's why I tell you that the verse we're about to read, the end part of it, is such a challenge to me personally. Because these are the words of this child who is born to a virgin, who is 100% God, 
who's speaking to us, saying, Now, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. That's the word of God. Those are the words of God. God come in the flesh. Emmanuel. Not coming from a philosopher. It's coming from God himself, saying, It will remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. And we should look at verse 21 to make this balance. Howbeit this kind goeth not out by prayer and fasting. So we understand there are degrees, let's say, of difficulties. There are degrees of demon possession. In some cases, it takes prolonged prayer combined with fasting. But the general rule, once again, nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now, if you were to take a guess at where the impedance is between things happening, coming from on high, through a vessel, you, is the problem with the supply or is the problem with the vessel? What would your guess be? I mean, I think a well guess. Good guess. Problem, yeah, the operator. Gun doesn't fire right and go, that was the gun. That wasn't the gun. I watched a young guy shoot a Glock. I forget how many rounds he shot at a shadow target, so that's a pretty good-sized target. Never hit paper. Yeah, 50 feet, which is not that far. Pop, 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 drops the mag. Pop, 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 pop. I was just watching him. You know anything about Glocks? Something wrong with the gun. And you know me with my sarcasm. I said, you know what? I don't think it's the gun. It's the operator. Not the gun. Certainly not the book. It's here. There's an impedance. Something that's stopping it. It could be unconfessed sin as we go through that each week before our communion service. It could be the fact that we're just aside. We're violating God. And now again, because we're so used to violating God on lower level things, little things, that we're used to it and we're not even hearing what the scriptures say. So I would exhort you on that point to make sure you break up the fallow ground when you're reading the Bible or listening to a message here to make sure your heart is fertile. And don't look at the Bible starting today. If you're reading it today and if you're reading it tomorrow, don't go back to this book just saying, oh, I've read this before. Look, this, I've been doing this for a long, long time, and that's how I read it. I don't assume I know everything about a text that I've read and preached and taught and everything else. I exegeted with Greek words and Hebrew words. I look at it again and again, and I keep moving it to see, is there something here that's more beyond? Is there something here in the text that I've missed? That's how I read the Bible, and that's how you should be reading the Bible. Because what will happen is the Holy Spirit will use that and open your eyes. Of course, this is one subject. Nothing is impossible to God. If you believe him, nothing is impossible to you. But then there's many, many other things, too. And they all connect. All these principles, they all connect. So we want to make sure that we have them all. Back to this. Say to the mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. And this thought comes to my mind about this idea of comfort. It seems, in my mind at least, that the average individual unconsciously takes this verse, since nothing is impossible, that life is going to be so comfortable. We're skipping now the principle of the cross. The truth and fact and principles of the fact that you'll be persecuted. Not an easy life. But still, mountains must be removed. Read through the book of Acts. Read through it this week. And see that the apostles did incredible things, just like Jesus, but they also suffered quite a lot as well. They go hand in hand. So don't make the mistake of saying, gee, I launched out for God in this adventure, and it's been nothing but difficulties. Well, yeah, you're going upstream. Everybody's going the other way. You're going upstream, and it's going to be difficulties. There's going to be the flesh. There's going to be demonic powers. And now, in this hour of history, we need both men and women that will just stand up and have what is ordinarily just simply called grit. Now, men, let me tell you something. 
It's the truth. In my training that I've helped out quite a lot of people over the years in strength training and then also in boxing, you know who I found not only were easier to teach but did better and oftentimes had more grit than the men? It was always women in almost every single case. Where a man was willing to quit, the woman wouldn't. Where the men tried to do like muscle the heavy bag and just muscle it, show off their strength, the woman would just relax. And when you relax, you have speed. And when you have speed, you have power. What? I mean, I've seen women that I know could knock out their much larger husband with one punch <laughs> and told them so. I hope they didn't do it. But the problem is not in the principal. The problem is with the operator. We are the impedance when these verses don't come true. So look at that verse. You know, it's not going to sink down deep, deep, deep. It can't. It needs time. But just look at it now. The mountain is removed, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Let's take a deep breath. Take a minute. A little less than a minute. And think about what your life can be from this day on. Oh, but we're in the end times. Yeah, I know that. Just acknowledge that it's going to be rough. So what do we do? Crumble? Or do we exercise the commonly used word, some grit? If we just have some grit and say, I'm not buckling, because nothing shall be impossible to me. Oh, yeah, well, you're one of them. Oh, no, I'm not one of them. I'm a guy who believes the book. Look at so many people have abused this doctrine of faith. But there is an old adage that says abuse does not rule out use. Someone that abuses the doctrine, people like myself, we have a tendency to move away from it because it sounds like those guys on the television or whatever. But abuse does not rule out use. That's a trick of Satan, too. The text says, remove hence the yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. That's what the text says. So Jesus said to Martha, do you believe it? He stood at the grave of Lazarus, who's been dead for four days. He says to her, he says, I told you, your brother's going to rise again. She knew the doctrine of the resurrection. That's true. He says, no, no, I'm the resurrection. I love that. I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, shall never die. And he that is living and believing on me shall never die. So he's standing at the grave of Lazarus, and he says, your brother's going to live, and she didn't quite understand that he meant now, right now. Take away the stone, and they're grabbing at Jesus, saying, whoa, he's been dead for four days. I mean, you're going above board this healing business. But he says, I'm not just the healer, and I am the healer. I am the resurrection. The resurrection, remember, this is God come in the flesh, Luke 1, the verse that we read. This is God saying, all souls are mine. There is nothing impossible with me. Nothing is impossible with me. And then, of course, you know the rest. He, Lazarus comes forth. Here he comes out bound with the grave clothes. Then in the very next chapter of John 11, we have Lazarus sitting down eating with them. And the people, it says the people came not only to see Jesus, they wanted to come see Lazarus. You know, that's going to be true of your life as you continue to work on your testimony. Being able to provide Real evidence, here right here in your hand, real evidence that this actually came to pass. The world has a lot of theory out there, and people are practicing theories, and some of it works. If it's a principle of life, well, it's going to work, and some of it doesn't. But God, who is not a man, you know, he became a man, but he's still God. He cannot lie. He cannot lie that nothing shall be impossible to you. Let's look at something else here in Matthew chapter 19, two chapters later. And this is about who's going to heaven. All right, so we have, in verse 16, this very wealthy young man. In verse 16, Matthew 19, Behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, 
Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Remember Luke chapter 1. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said, which? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? How did he know that he was still coming up short? Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, Go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The one thing he couldn't give up was, let's say, his lifestyle, which in that case was money. By the way, can I just add this in as a parenthetical statement? All the preachers that we've seen over the years, that God has told them this and that, and the other thing, I see a guy on YouTube the other day fanning all this money, and there's a prophetic word. I didn't bother watching it, just already knew what he was going to say. Have any of you heard the prophetic minister, the faith minister, the prosperity minister of God telling them, get rid of all your money? I've not heard it one time. All the big names. Has God ever spoken to them? I want you to give everything away and give it to the poor and just come follow me. How come? Huh. Think about that for a while. Verse 23 then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let me say this as application for America. We have so much. We're always looking for more. And always worried about what we have, we may lose what we have. And Jesus said, no, don't think like that. God arrays the flowers. God feeds the birds of the air and so on. And don't be anxious about your life. Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Application can be very much made in our lives in America. Because you say, well, I don't have a lot, Pastor. But you go and take a look around the world at what people don't have in so many, many places, and you are definitely wealthy. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed because the doctrine even back then is that the blessing of God is shown up in gold and silver. So they believe that. Now Jesus is saying, no, it's not. Here's he's telling a Jewish man, a young man, to give up the gold and silver. Follow me and you'll have eternal life. Well, that's the ultimate blessing, right? And he couldn't do it or he wouldn't do it. And now the disciples are saying, this just turns our theology all up on its head. Let me say it one more time. How many millions of people are out there believing these teachers that God wants them to be billionaires? It used to start out with, you know, a couple of bucks. Then it went to millionaire. And now it's in billions but I'm not aware, and maybe it's out there. I'm not aware of God speaking to the very same teacher saying, give it all up, all of it, every dime of it, and follow me. So it's interesting. But here, the disciples who had been taught that doctrine. Again, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. So I'll go with the same thing, just repeated. They're amazed. They're saying, wow. Then who can go to heaven? If you have the blessing of God, that's what they thought. If you have the blessing of God on you, and you got all this money, all this stuff, and you're not going to heaven... Then who can go? And here Jesus brings this in. Verse 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men, this is impossible. First he said it's hard for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven. Now he says it's impossible with men, but with God all things are possible. So he brings us back to this again. If a person is wealthy, it does not mean, certainly does not mean they have no shot at eternal life. He brings us back to the fact that with God nothing is impossible. Let me just say something to you. Have you found that money makes you happy? Some say, yeah, well, you know, I'm... Well, I haven't. 
you read the papers and someone wins Powerball. Somebody won it just a week or so ago. What was it? Three, four hundred million dollars? But do you recall I shared with you this truth, a statistical, sociological truth about people? Whether you have a great tragedy, you know, something that's really devastating, let's say, God forbid, today, or you're the Powerball winner today, within the space of one year, both of them return back to where they were at that year. This is without Christ. This is not theology. This is a book on sociology. That at the end of a year, these people return to their position where they were before this happened. So if it's not a bad thing, and it's a good thing, either way, after about a year, you settle right back into where you were anyway. Because this is the, well, I'll go and stick with the Powerball thing and the lottery. This is the carrot that Satan's always hanging out. But don't think he doesn't hang out the other either. Look at this happen to you. You went off to follow Jesus and look at your life. With some, I grabs them. Yeah, it hasn't really worked out the way I thought it would work out. It's not the money. should have figured that out a long time ago. It's the God. That nothing is impossible with God. Jesus taught us. He says, you know how to give good gifts to your children? Yeah. I mean, when they were younger and they were in your home, did you feed them? Well, of course. Did you give them a place to stay? Obviously. Take care of them when they were infants? You know. And he says this. He says, if you, being evil... <laughs> Me, evil? I'm a good guy. And Jesus says, no. If you, being evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to them that ask? Then we could go there. Remember, nothing's impossible with God. The reason we don't ask is we already expect them to say, no, because we've tried it before, and it didn't work out. So you give up asking. Then Jesus teaches about importunity. We're knocking... God's not answering. We're knocking. God's still not answering. And God says, Jesus said, keep knocking. You keep knocking. It's a present tense verb. And the door will be opened. But he didn't say it'll be open. You knock once. Everything's easy, comfortable. Here I am. Give me what I want. I got to go. I got a schedule to keep. People to meet, places to go, things to do. God says, no, you just stay there. and You keep on knocking. And even the world acknowledges this principle. If you were persistent. Hey, did you have a child like that? Persistent to finally say, here, take it. Well, that's an illustration that Jesus used. Importunity. Lord, the old timers used to have the phrase, we will not be denied. It was said reverentially, but we will not be denied. Lord, we will not be denied this prayer request. And it's a way of going before God with principles that Jesus gave us. Importunity. Unhappy with your life? I wasn't all that enthused with mine either. That's after I received Christ. Because things weren't working out. Until I looked at the scriptures began to realize it's already written there. But still the power and possibility of a life starting today, no matter how old you are. So well, I'm too old for this stuff. Okay. So let me talk to you that aren't so old. Though a lot of people here are, you know, pretty old. <laughs> There's still time to turn things around. And you can't do it for everybody else. Only for yourself. Only for yourself. There's still time to turn things around. Don't let your heart be hardened by saying, well, you know, yeah, I understand that, Pastor. No, you don't understand it. Can't. Because I'm 44, almost 45 years in the Lord. I'm still being grabbed by verses that I just read to you from Matthew 17, 20. And then doing the math about my age and saying, there's still time. As a matter of fact, God's grace, by God's grace, still a lot of time. But I'm not expecting to be comfortable. I'm not expecting for, you know, you guys here and a few others in the city. I have a parade in my honor because he's just a wonderful guy. If anything, I may be found occasionally under a pile of rocks somewhere because that's the price you pay to follow Jesus. 
I'm not expecting the devil to say, well, give up on him. His faith is too strong. I'm expecting to get more reinforcements, as I mentioned to you before, what we've seen going through our church here. But when I pray, I pray, God, I'm thanking you that you're healing this person right now. I'm thanking you that you're touching them right now, and so on. Because nothing is impossible for God. And God, come in the flesh, said to me and to you, nothing shall be impossible unto you. You remember I've told you this, you that were born here, I mean in this little hamlet here, this little tiny little city. The first thing I observed a couple years, everybody talked down about this city. When I first got here, I met a pastor who's been gone a long, he was gone a couple of months after I got here. And I told him that, you know, the Lord sent me here. And he said, really? He said, my view of Amsterdam is that this is the armpit of the world. I just got here. I said, this is what came to mind. I said, well, if it's the armpit, then I'm the deodorant. <laughs> See, I'm not one of those guys you can just knock me over and say, oh, well, yeah, it's the armpit. He didn't make it, but I'm still here. Amen. And that's 34 years ago. Amen. I'm your deodorant. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I do smell good. It's a point of view. I give you this occasionally, but let me just use it again. Salesman has shoes, goes to a country. Nobody's wearing shoes. Calls up his company. He says to the boss, hey, you sent me over here. Nobody's got shoes. I'm going home. He goes home. Company sends another guy over. He calls back. Says to his boss, hey, nobody has shoes. Send me more shoes. Same people, same product, different point of view. We have more of a chance of having a revival here than in most places in the United States. Why? Because we're at the lowest rung of the ladder, and you know that. If we go any lower, we'll be in hell. <laughs> the next step is right into the pit. We're almost in the pit now. And we have a better chance of having God really visit us than most places in the United States, and I won't name cities, because they've already got a church. Every third building is a church. I mean, sometimes I wish I was there. Would have been easier on me, my wife, my family. God sent me here. We have more of an opportunity to see God do amazing, incredible things because, let's face it, we don't have much other than some nice trees and a few brooks and birds. We don't have much. Jesus is saying to you and to me, with me, nothing's impossible. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, to you, nothing shall be impossible. And what's a greater place to be with a God who says nothing's impossible with people who have no shoes? That means we don't have too many shoe competitors in the area. That means that these people here want shoes. Once we show them how good these shoes are, these boots were made for walking. And that's just what they'll do. Let me give you one more, and I'll finish with this. It's the inversion of what I've just been sharing with you. You could and you should. Turn with me to it. We'll look at it together. We have seen, in very simple terms, something that we would acknowledge readily. Sure, with God, nothing's impossible. Hebrews 11 uh, I think I will say this as just my own judgment. It's a bit of hesitation when we say, oh, nothing impossible with me. Well, Jesus said it, so keep that in mind. Jesus said it. Now we come to Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. And that was inverted. It's the other way around. Without faith in his word and what he says, there's no way, no way you can please God. It is good advice to watch what comes out of your mouth. Because it's the heart that's speaking. Now we have the absolute opposite. When we don't believe what God has said, then nothing's going to happen. Just like Nazareth. And he could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And without faith, 
It is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I often remind God of this verse here. I've been diligent, perfect now, but diligent. And God, you said that you are a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. But still God is a tough trainer. And he said, no, that's fine. Give me a couple more reps. I don't want to do any more reps. <laughs> Tired. No, you do them. And he just stand there and just wait for you to do it. Meaning he wants more faith. He's looking for more. Who in the process is growing? God. God has never had an anxiety attack in his life, ever. He's not depressed. He's not scratching his... He's not watching the media. He's not reading the newspaper and saying, excuse me, what? what's this going on? He's sitting in his heavens in his throne. His plan is being executed. The scriptures say his eyes are running to and fro throughout the earth to find whose heart is perfect toward him that he's going to show him so strong. There's one right there. Power of God. Power of God. Why does he skip over everybody else? Their hearts are not perfect. They're not mixing it with faith. You've got to mix it with faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But remember this. And I said this on the broadcast this week. Nothing that God asks us to do is good for him. That includes singing. I know that God is pleased with singing and songs, and he inhabits the praises of Israel, which means he also inhabits our praise as well. But we're not adding anything to God. I know for myself, whether playing or listening to you sing, I'm being edified. I listened to a song before I came here today that I'm not really that familiar with. The Bill Gaither group was singing it about that old country church. Ever hear that song? That's a good song. That old country church. And they go through all the dynamics of being a small country church. Of course, as a pastor, I also know things they're not singing about, about that old country church. The good old boys that try to upset everything. But the song is really good. It just reminded me of something David Wilkerson once told me. He says, you know, people everywhere need Jesus. When I told him I was leaving New York City to come here. He came to New York City and I left. People everywhere need Jesus, and that means Jesus is everywhere. Where two or three are gathered, we heard that quoted earlier. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And that's connected to the verse of asking, and you shall receive. If two of you shall agree as touching anything on earth, it shall be done. Because with God, nothing is impossible. So I'm asking you today to do what I have been doing in evaluating my life at this stage of it. And instead of giving up. And we're not inmates. We're not putting in time. We're investing in eternity. And I'm asking you today to examine your life and take this verse with you and look at it. Matthew 17, 20. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. How many people does it take? Do we have to have a quorum? If one. But we had two, three, and four, five, six, and 50, and 100 and whatever. Well, nothing is impossible. When you go out these doors, I know some of you travel distances to get here. Stop looking at what you see. No, no, don't stop. Look at what you see and say, wow, there's a real opportunity. In most all the cities in this capital district area, there's a great opportunity because there's nothing there. There's not much there. Once again, we're at the bottom rung. That's proven by Barna. Give me those statistics. How much further down can we go? We're number 100 at the bottom of the list. So I think it's time to grab this verse and say, no need to travel someplace else where all the Christians are clustered. Nothing's impossible with God. Absolutely nothing's impossible with God. Let's bow our hearts and bow our heads. And I want you to apply this to yourself, to challenge yourself, to be stretched by God through his word in prayer, stretch your intellect, to stretch your, even your physical, I don't mean necessarily exercise, but the physicality of what believing does to us, to stretch yourself, no matter what your age is, to stretch yourself and say that nothing is impossible with God.
Nothing is impossible with God. And if I was to have faith as a grain of mustard seed, there is nothing impossible to me because that's what the God of the book said. Think about what your life can yet be. If you're not satisfied with your life, and honestly, I'm not totally satisfied with my life. I'm really not. Well, I'm determined. I even told the Lord, I don't want to go home to be with you until I finish my course. And when I finish my course, I want to finish strong. So, Father, we just ask you today, I ask you today, to let this seed of the word fall on good ground, and that we would not limit you by our own unbelief, that we, each one of us, would leave this place here and say, wow, A, I'm in an area of the country, of the world, where so much can happen because nothing is happening. And B, even if I was in the greatest city of the world, still nothing is impossible with you. Nothing. Father, we look to you today to grow our faith. And I say this in all sincerity, to make us happy people in the midst of all this depression, in the midst of all this turmoil. Well, what it is sometimes is just bad news, but we have good news to countermand the bad news. God, that we can actually be legitimately happy people, not the phony smile, the legitimately happy people that say, nothing's impossible. I've got Christ. So we bless you today. We praise you today. You are great, and you are greatly to be praised. Once again, God, I just pray that each person, every single one, that that seed would grab and take root in our hearts. And instead of being the Alamo, where people are making a brave stand but dying, we'll make a brave stand and live and convert Santa Ana in the process. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. Jesus is coming again. Father, we bless you and remind us during the week to love you with all the heart. You're worthy of it. All the mind, all the strength, everything, all the soul. And God, help us to love one another. That's the difficult part, challenging part. Let us do it. Nothing is impossible with you. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you on this Lord's Day, Father, and all of it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.